Engage Sessions. The NSR Media Network presents Sessions, bringing you behind the scenes and into the lives of your favorite music artists. And now, here's your host, Barry Davis. Uh, we are back again for another week. Another great music guest and some great music conversation. As you tune in, there's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis, and this would be Sessions. I'm looking forward to this conversation today because I was a big fan of this band back in the, I guess, early 2000s, The Odds. Yep, yep. Some great songs. And the guitarist from the band, Murray Atkinson, has released a solo album, which is not out of the realm of, you know... No, guitarists do that from time to time. That's right. <laughs> what makes this an interesting solo album is that it is a rock album in which there are no vocals, all instrumentals. I love it. Why did he do this? What does it sound like? And does this mean the odds are in odds? We'll find out when we speak with Murray Atkinson, the guitarist, from the odds. Coming up next, the music business. Boy, it has changed and COVID is taking its toll. We'll talk about that. And up next... A very cool cover that I don't know if you've ever heard before, Tom. All right, Tom, you know the song, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Any idea who that voice is? Is that Biff Naked? No, it is not Biff Naked. She is not Canadian. Hmm. Gwen Stefani? Not Gwen Stefani. Oh. She was... She started at a very young age. She made it big... I think she was still a teenager when she made it big. If I'm not mistaken, she was on some kids' TV show. Miley Cyrus? Miley Cyrus. There we go. I tell you what. Wow. I'm liking her more and more all the time when I hear her. And uh, I guess what's going on now in, in the world has made us spend more time turning to music. And I've definitely done that. And my wife actually said, have you seen this version of Heart of Glass? from Miley Cyrus and I went no really and she played that for me and apparently Miley's done a lot of interesting covers um she's even dabbled into Pink Floyd which is kind of bizarre to think that she would try that but listen to this (laughs) actually uh, as a guitarist I love playing this song there are certain songs that are made for the 12-string guitar. Yeah. This is song is made for the 12-string guitar. But, uh, yeah, I've always thought of Miley Cyrus as that kind of kids performer and then maybe country, but when you hear the rawness of her voice... Oh, no, she's been doing crazy music for a long she's time. She's really cool. So let's hear her do some Pink Floyd. So, so you think you can tell. Wow, little Stevie Nicks in that voice, eh? Yeah. You hear some Stevie in there. They've actually performed together. Miley Cyrus and Stevie Nicks. I would not believe either of these songs was Miley Cyrus. Wow, that's all I got to say. Yeah. I uh, I all of a sudden have this newfound respect for Miley Cyrus, and who knew? And, you know, that's the beauty of music, right, Tom? It can always surprise you. It never lets you down, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you don't like the song, you just flip it to a song you like. Yep. You never have to sit and suffer. I mean, if you're in an elevator or, you know, <laughs> at, at work, um, there's always country music playing, and I appreciate it. But after a while, if I hear Shania Twain one more time, yeah. I might just go and do something stupid. But for the most part, music is very personal, and it brings out some wonderful things in us as human beings. Yeah, it does. I... Uh... I, you know, I'll probably say my, my background in restaurants introduced me to the one time because there was a time in my life where I was just done with music because 
when you're working in a restaurant, especially like a corporate restaurant, there's playlists. And so you're hearing the same 20 songs all day, repeated over and over and over again. And wow. Yeah. I don't know what hit radio is like these days because I don't listen <laughs> to hit radio. Is there hit radio these days? Does that oh, exist and do I'm, people listen I'm to it? I'm sure like the the hip-hop or dance pop stations, whatever, right? Mm. I know on XM Radio, if you listen to the the hit station, it's probably what it used to be for AM Radio for us, which was here's the top 25 songs or the top 40 songs of the week. You're going to hear them all the time. Mm. You're going to hear them 10 times a day in rotation. The songs that are maybe a little bit less popular, five times a day. But the thing was, you were hearing the same things over and over. It wasn't until FM came out and started playing album tracks that we were able to get exposed to to music other than those same songs. See, I always had AM and FM. I don't remember a, a just AM time. Oh, so a little yeah. bit older than you. <laughs> Thanks for the lesson. Okay. <laughs> man, oh man. Uh we we talk about the importance of music, Tom, and it's it's getting tougher and tougher for musicians right now. And mm-hmm. with the numbers of COVID continuing to to rise exponentially, with the you know word in the media that within days, maybe by the time you're listening to this show, they they go back to full on stage two or stage one, things are going to close. Mm-hmm. But even when things were in stage three. Live music was very difficult to find. In fact, you could not see it for an indoor show for sure. Outdoor mm-hmm. shows, you had to get a little bit creative. We're going to probably bypass a full year, a full calendar year, without concerts, without live music. Yeah. And it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we were privileged enough to, to attend a concert, you know, just a couple of weeks ago and the power like i know firsthand um the power that music can have you know to to elevate mood and to you know from very personal experience right mm-hmm. um and and we got to see it on display uh a couple saturdays ago with you know that whole room full of people and and you could see it was the happiest group of people i've seen for months <laughs> You know, it's an awful lot happier than what you see at the grocery store every day. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to see more and more angry people. Yeah. At some point in time, because, you know, we're not meant to live the way that we're living right now. And, yeah, okay, we need to, right? But we also need to, we also need to know that with that isolation that we have, and with the removal of those those hobbies and those uh, for some people you know exercise regimens and things like that uh, we're taking away all the things that are really important in the happiness that we need to to live a healthy life yeah and at some point in time you know if we haven't already reached the boiling point we're going to yeah and and that's the thing it makes me wonder will we ever see big festivals again will we ever be able to go to an arena to see a live concert again. How long will it be before the world deems it safe to do these types of things? And for music lovers, it's hard. And for us mm-hmm. personally, I mean, we've had a couple of opportunities to, to play uh, in, in a club in Ajax, one of the few places that's still open to live music. They only allow 50 people in. And we can all, everyone in the band, agree that it's a safe thing to do. And if we can't have all the members on board, then we can't do it. Mm-hmm. So this is this is where we're at right now, that we don't have very many places available to play. Yeah. And when there is a place available to play, then there's going to be folks in your band that are not feeling safe to do it. Yeah. I mean, everybody right now is on sort of a different level of, of fear. Yeah. Right? And, and some people are... are you know, gung ho, and let's you know. Some people are anti-maskers, and some people haven't left their house in, in mm. six months, and and everybody's somewhere on that spectrum. And yeah, that's the real. That, I think that's actually the toughest thing about live music now, is finding like that pipeline of people who are willing to take a little bit of risk. To, yeah, to get out there and play. And for me personally, I know for you too that a big part of keeping your mental health mm-hmm. where it should be is to be making music. And 
it uh, it's something that we won't be able to do for the foreseeable future with We Ain't Petty, uh, with Driven. But you and I have decided to get together and start working on some songs to play in a duo. And we figured, you know, what better band to be trying to do than these guys right yep. here. So uh, I would hope over the next uh, three, four weeks you hear a little bit more about what we're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. But you and I, both huge fans of the Beatles and specifically the harmonies. So... Tom, you and I are going to be putting together this little duo. We'll bring out our acoustics, maybe a little electric guitar, but no full band, just the two of us. And uh, hopefully when they start opening up some kind of music venues again, this might be uh, a much easier thing for club owners to do because A, you're not paying a full band, right? Yep. Uh, And B, you can still have a decent night as a restaurant owner when you only have 50 people in there. You know what I mean? So it's a win-win. So hopefully we can get to a point where some of these places are allowing, like, you know, a small, a number of people to watch something like a duo Mm -hmm. and we can start performing again because man, oh man, I, I, making music to me is what makes me happy. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tough here because Southern Ontario, um, you know, we, we spoke to David Clayton Thomas back just before COVID. Yeah. And he brought up a really, really good point. Like, even before COVID, live music was not in a healthy place no, in Southern Ontario. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. And, you know, the the few venues that were out there that were doing it are gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or not not all of them, but, uh, but there have been a few that have dropped man, off in yeah, Toronto. Oh, and, listen, man. I grew up in really the peak time for live music clubs mm-hmm. in the 80s. And they were all over the place. You had Rock and Roll Heaven. You had Hot Rocks. You had Entex. You had uh, The Riv. You had, like, the, one after the other, all these great, the Gasworks, yeah. El Macombo. They were all over the place. And now there's very few. So m- my hope is that, you know, as we go along through COVID, you know, we, we do begin that process of kind of looking at what it's, what's important in life. And we realize that, you know, that art, the music, the, the things that make our life and our world more beautiful are actually things that we want, yeah. right? And, you know, it might be a dark road to get there, but I'm hoping that that's where we end up. And, and my heart goes out to those that are musicians full-time. They don't have another job. Mm-hmm. You, if you're an accountant or whatever, you can work from home. Mm-hmm. You can't work from home when you're a musician. No. You know what I mean? You can do some stuff. You can do some recording, but you can't... No one's going to pay you to put a video out from home. You know, we're doing it all the time, putting out videos. We're doing it to keep ourselves relevant and to keep our sanity. But we're not going to make money doing that. No, no. Right? I mean, not not to replace a job. No. Well, no, not to replace a gig. No, you know? no, definitely and, not. And, and I'm going to say this, and, and I'm not asking for me personally, mm-hmm. but if there are, you know, local bands or local musicians that you like or you support... Um, maybe throw a few shekels their way if you're working and, and you're doing all right. Maybe they on their website they have an area to donate because, you know, they they're they've lost everything. I'm making a concerted effort to to try and support live music in any way I can mm-hmm. right now because you know we know a lot of content creators and everybody's having trouble. Yeah. Everybody's having trouble. Even the people that are just you know doing videos from home, right? They kind of feel like. You know, it's not finding the audience at right. all, right? And, it's, and it's, if, it's really hard to engage it, people. It is. But if you put something out and, and people do see it and they do like it, then, you know, go and support them. Buy, yeah. buy their album. Yeah, you, got you know to. what I mean? You can't pay to see them live, but you can go to iTunes or Spotify and purchase their stuff. Yeah, I actually, and yeah, I, you know, my, my Instagram account, One Foot at a Time, has a lot of music stuff on it. And um, that was actually something that I, just decided to do last week was to try and every few posts put in something about a local musician mm-hmm. that is doing great music. First one was about Villavat. Yes. Right? And you know, we're going to have her on the show real soon. Yeah. In fact, I- I'm hoping we get her on next week. Oh, Because beautiful. she's done some wonderful things and uh, I think she's very deserving. She's, and if you're unfamiliar, check her out, Villavat. Mm-hmm. And she's actually in uh, a big competition now. Yeah, Jim Beam Canada Talent Search. Exactly, yeah. exactly. 
this 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 young girl rocks. She's yeah. really really good. All right, before we move on to our feature conversation this week mm-hmm. uh, with Murray Atkinson of The Odds. Um, you have no idea I'm going to ask you this question, but I'm going to ask you right now. All right. Share with me or share with our audience something you've already shared with me, and that is what made you become a guitar player? Oh, it blew my arm out. <laughs> keep, I, uh, keep the story maybe cleaner than you did. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll try not things. to drop the F-bombs. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I had... Um, I had played saxophone when I was in, in junior high and, uh, you know, I was, I was really good and, uh, I got into the, you could blow, I could blow that horn, baby. Um, and, uh, I got into the school of the arts in my area called Mayfield and, uh, and, uh, but I decided going to that summer that like, I really didn't want to, cause I didn't like the saxophone that much. <laughs> So, so I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. So I, I went to Bram Lee secondary school and, um, you know, it's where my brother went my brother was actually a really good sax player. And so I had gone to Bram Lee cause I didn't like the sax that much, but I got to Bram Lee and I was the younger brother of their great sax player. In so the they school. actually had a school band at the school that wasn't a school of the arts. Yeah. Okay. Oh cool. yeah. And it was good. And, and like, I was immediately put into senior band and senior jazz band. I didn't get to play with any of the kids my age off the bat at all. And I hated it. And, uh, about halfway through the year I auditioned for a school play and, uh, I got a lead in the school play and the lady that was in charge of the school band, like she took it so serious and she made my life a living hell because I had to miss a few band practices to do play rehearsals. Right. And it got really bad. Like it got to the point where one, one day the whole hour and a half class was me in her office getting yelled at. And so <sighs> by the end of grade nine, I was like, screw it. I'm done with music. I quit. And by the way, if you're listening, dragon woman, Hey. Oh, the dragon lady. That's, yeah. yeah, that's what we called her, the yeah. dragon lady. By the yeah. way, if you're listening, shame on you. You no, destroyed. A, you she, destroyed this guy's saxophone career. No, she is. She is a great music educator, but a very different school. All right. Um, one I, I'm sure has probably changed over the years as the world's changed. But it has. Okay, um, continue. Yeah. So, um, and then I, I was just really focusing on athletics. Uh, I was playing on the football team, playing baseball, and, um, you know. One day I found that I couldn't raise my arm above, you know, more than a couple inches after I threw a good. few times. No. Does Rosh Chapai about that one? Well, yeah, it's called multidirectional instability. And I was told when I was about 15 that I was never going to throw again. <laughs> and so I, uh, I very clearly remember it was like 95. No, 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 no. It was whenever the Pumpkins album came out. So it's earlier than that. But, um, I was watching all my friends out very first nice day in the spring. They all went out to play catch. And I was always the guy. I'd grab them before the snow melted. I'd have my buddies out playing catch. And it was the first beautiful day, and I couldn't go play catch. And I'd had this little crappy electric guitar under my bed that my upstairs neighbor had given me like two years earlier, and it just sat there collecting dust. And I had heard the Pumpkins album, and for the first time since my saxophone days, I thought, man, there's some noise I want to make. And and I fell in love with the album. And I was like, I have to learn how to make those sounds that they're making with those instruments. And and so I grabbed a guitar. And, you know, one thing led to another. I, I decided I was just going to play it for fun. It was just to pass the time because I couldn't play ball anymore. And, you know, obviously things got a little out of hand from there. But that's always been kind of my approach. You've seen me with the guitar. It's, oh yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it's something that I love to do, and I always make sure that it stays that way. And I'm, I tell you what, <laughs> I'm so glad you screwed up your arm. <laughs> because you know, if it weren't for that, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. It's funny that all like the best and most important lessons in our lives tend to be the most painful. <laughs> Absolutely. There is Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. Up next, we will hear from Murray Atkinson, guitarist from The Odds, and the writer of this song from his brand new solo album. This album you can pick up right now. Great name of the album. 
Mubla Tube. And this song is called Grinding. Murray Atkinson here on set. From the brand new album, and I love the name of this EP, Moombla Tubed, that is Grinding from Murray Atkinson. Murray Atkinson, also a member of The Odds. And uh, first of all, Murray, thanks for joining us. Love the song and love the album. We've been listening to it. Um, before we get into your solo career, uh, are The Odds still a thing? Are you guys still performing? Uh, well, nobody's performing these days, but uh, are you yeah. guys still playing together? Well, we've been doing a lot of virtual stuff back and forth. We haven't played together as a band since before the apocalypse happened in mid-March. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, last gig I did with them was a thing in Vancouver for the uh, Canucks Country Rocks uh, charity event they do every year. And, uh, I mean, we just got that one in just under the wire. That was, I think, was March 7th or March 8th. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was it, man. That was it. Um, everything shut down the following week, right? So, no, we haven't played since then, obviously. But 
in terms of odds land, yeah, we are actually recording a new. We're working on. We're actually almost finished uh, a new CD. Oh, fantastic! A new album. Yeah, I think it's going to be, be about a dozen songs, and it's kind of one of those things where probably 75% of it was already done pre-COVID, mm-hmm. um, but we're now kind of off in our own little uh, studio lands at home and just finishing up what needs to be done and and just emailing it in, basically. See, the reason I asked is because, you know, you've got this new album coming out and, th- you know, your fans might be thinking, oh, is this the end of the odds? And that's good to know that it's not the end of the odds, and... If you're a fan of the odds and you hear Murray's solo stuff, at least this new album, it doesn't sound like the odds. And I got to <laughs> tell you, man, this is this is such great ballsy stuff to do because to put out an instrumental album of so much variety, but rock being the main focus of it, there's some pretty cool, freaky stuff on mm-hmm. there too. But right. what, what was the inspiration to doing this? Well, initially it was going to be just kind of six or seven straight up rock tunes, and then I uh, I got the first the four that ended up being on the record to kind of I got them all done, and then yeah, I mean I'm I'm kind of one of those artists who can't sit in one position very long stylistically, so mm-hmm. um, you know I, I've dabbled in some ambient stuff and I did a bit of nylon string kind of Spanish ish sounding stuff in the past. And, uh, you know, I th- a big part of me wanted to just put put out a six or seven kind of a, and keep it all one genre, just kind of rock, hard rock. But at the end, I ended up going for something different. I decided to throw that Spanish thing on there, Spanish guitar thing on there. And uh, the very last song is, is yeah, completely, <clears throat> completely out in left field. It's that kind of ambient, minimalist uh, thing. And... Um, but I think the reason for putting that on there is that it kind of ties into uh, some other stuff that I was working on at the time. Um, and I think for me, it's just about exploring different genres and staying. It keeps my artistic muse fresh, I think. Um, I, th- I find when I do one thing for too long, I start to, I don't get necessarily bored with it, but I just, you know, the old, the, the inspiration isn't quite as strong. And uh so you know, I'm always going to be explore. I'm always going to be exploring new styles and new stuff. Um, you probably will never hear me play country. <laughs> you won't hear me. You won't hear me do jazz, but you'll hear me try other stuff. I'll tell you what. This is why, and take this as a complete compliment. Okay, when that song came on, it hit me like Revolution Nine does on the White Album. Oh wow! Yeah, like that kind of like whoa! Did not expect this. I mean, talking about the first time I ever heard the White Album. Now I know it's coming. <laughs> right. But it, it had that kind of this is cool, freaky stuff, man. I love it. Interesting. Well, thanks, you man. That, that's a huge, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. It's uh, it's, it's kind of nice to be <laughs> nice to, nice to hear that. I, I didn't know what to expect, you know, when I put it out. And uh, it's interesting to hear. I mean, some people say it reminds them of Rage Against the Machine. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so close to it. It's kind of hard for me to think. Okay, what does it sound like when I, you know? You got to do that stuff with your bios, where you you got to kind of say what you think it sounds like stylistically and stuff. But I've, I'm not I'm not really good at uh, narrowing down those things. So um, that's a new one. Beatles, Beatles. That's a, that's a new one. I'll go way into left field too with uh, with grinding in particular. There are a few of those like the rapid progression hits with the drums and bass in there, really tight. That that brought to my dream theater for me. Oh wow! So uh... yeah, that's that's. <laughs> probably more and more in line with what i would expect um i've been i've been listening to i've been listening to uh, a lot of marty friedman over the past two or three years i kind of nice. rediscovered that guy and he i mean he's he's definitely more metal um if you know who he is he was yeah. the Megadeth guitar Megadeth. player yeah. in the 90s right yeah but uh yeah i re- i rediscovered his i was a big fan of his stuff his solo stuff um in the 90s and then I kind of forgot about him. And three years ago, I, I had just happened to rediscover his his new stuff that he's just been been putting out still. And it's just, it is the most insane, amazing, uh, if you're into metal guitar, um, the way that he strings a song together with with form wise is just like it's epic riff after riff after riff. <laughs> and I don't want to put myself in, into that category, but. Um, this song sort of maybe was influenced by 
the way he strings his forms together was just simply in, in terms of the uh, the form of the song, right? It kind of goes from one riff into a kind of a new riff into another mm-hmm. riff before it kind of returns back to that main thing, right? So yeah, now, I'm I'm more of a vocalist than I am a guitarist. I, you know, I'm a rhythm guy, but Tom is is a, is a great guitarist and bass player as well. And I know for him during COVID, I mean, you just been sitting around with your guitar and you just start screwing around with little loops and runs and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and you just get creative did you find the same type of thing maury with all this time you're just sitting with your guitar and you just start screwing around and all of a sudden things happen well that's a that's a lot of times even pre-covid that's a lot of times how some of the best ideas i find for myself actually happen Hmm. um it'll be you plug your you plug your guitar into a new pedal and it makes this weird sound that you didn't expect and you go that's really cool and then uh, you kind of run with it, right? And that's actually what happened with the song Grinding is that I plugged my guitar into a whammy pedal, which was set to an octave up. Oh, and it was, blend- <laughs> it was blended. It was blended with the not with you know the the, the octave up sound and it, and the and the regular sound. Yeah. And it kind of had this scratchy, weird tone tone to it. But it made that 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 main riff. It just kind of made it sound really cool with that with that octave effect on there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's kind of like what Jack White does with his stuff. He's always experimenting with different guitar sounds, right? Pedals that give you just an unexpected guitar sound, and uh, that's kind of exactly what happened with with that one particular tune. And it was, and then it just ended up being, you know, I kind of wrote that riff, and it kind of got to the end of it, and I was like, okay, now what next? And then <laughs> the next riff just kind of popped into my head, and and it was one of those songs where the the riffs just kind of kept popping in, popping into my head as I was going. So the very first recorded demo of the song isn't that different um, form-wise than what it ended up being, which was, I love it when that happens. I love it when you can kind of capture on the fly, in the moment, as it's happening, capture that inspiration, which is the beauty of having, you know, we all have these little uh, home studio setups Mm -hmm. and being able to capture that stuff as it it is happening, to me, I mean that's that's the magic right there, right? You were mentioning effects. Um, you, are are you one of those you know always looking for the next you know boutique effect or or that you know the neat little throwaway from the nineteen seventies that you get your hands on, or are you one of the big board guys generally? I'm always interested in stuff. Um, you know, the, I mean, I kind of got one of those those line six comprehensive pedals that does <laughs> everything <too>. <laughs> yeah. you know the mdm 13 it's like okay what doesn't it do right and yeah. there's a lot of stuff i mean you can mess around in there for forever um i haven't lately been looking at stuff i was just checking out a uh oh god who makes it Beatronics swarm mm-hmm. pedal <laughs> which kind of does all this weird instrument in, 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 uh, interesting harmonic stuff. It all depends. I mean, I've, yeah, I've, I'm always into looking at other pedals, but if I don't, if I don't hear a demo of it online, or if I don't, if I don't hear what I think it it can be turned into some kind of a of a, of a song idea, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would actually lay out the three or four hundred bucks to to get one of those pedals, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, non musicians wouldn't understand this at all. But I'm going to ask you anyway, and for those that are musicians that are listening, then they'll get a you know a charge out of this. But you do some interesting tunings as well, <laughs> especially huh. with your seven string guitar, which is just crazy. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about the uh, the, the A tuning sound guard. Yeah, that it's actually a, <laughs> it's actually a six string. I got a double neck uh, Dan Electro, and one of the necks is a baritone uh, six string, and the other neck's just a regular six string. Right. And yeah, one day for whatever reason, I don't I don't even know why I had it. I had the baritone, which is usually tuned uh, for all the musicians out there. It's usually mm-hmm. tuned a four a four four steps down, right? So a fourth down. Mm-hmm. So it's usually low B instead of a low E, right? Um, but for, for whatever reason, I had that B string tuned down to an A, and I mean that's getting it's getting down there. It's getting pretty low. Um, and then I just kind of popped out that Soundgarden riff while I was tuned down like that. And I was like, wow, that sounds really cool tuned down that deep. Mm. So again, that was kind of almost a mistake. Um, and then I ended up just pursuing recording, uh, an instrumental cover of that, of, uh, 
of that song, Never the Machine Forever, right? Mm-hmm. Are you generally a big fiddler with tunings? Do you use a lot of tunings, or do you generally stick to kind of the tried and true? <laughs> no, man. Tunings are actually a problem for me because I I had I put out a, a CD about 10 years ago um, called Salt March. It was under a different band name. It was under a band named Swan. And on that, there was about, I think, 10 or 11 songs on that. I think six of them were different guitar tunings. <laughs> so playing the live yeah. show... You need, a t- you need a tech for sure. Needed a tech, but I mean, regardless, it's like you basically have to change almost every song, unless you want to do three songs in a row that are all in drop D, which sonically <laughs> kind of gets a little bit repetitive, right? So, yeah, man, I'm 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 big into like open D, uh, open G, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually made up a few of my own tunings. It's like E A C sharp G G E going oh, from low wow. to high. So you you hit all the strings open and you get an A7 chord, right? Yeah. Um, And that's kind of based on, um, I mean, I kind of got these uh, these alternative guitar tuning ideas from learning Soundgarden songs because they would double the G string. So they'd tune their B string down to a G. And you get that double G string. Of course, it sounds so fat when you play a melody on those two strings. You can just move your finger up and down and press it on those two strings and mm-hmm. the melody sounds so fat because it's doubled, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a sound, that's a tuning they used on uh, like Head Down, uh, what else? Uh, Pretty Noose, mm. um, Burden in My Hand had that double G thing. So I've messed around a lot with, uh, with, with some different tunings for sure. You know, Tom and I have been talking about this for the last couple of weeks about how there are so many kids out there learning to play guitar, and they can play pretty much any riff that's ever been written before. But what makes yeah. the great guitarist stand out, and we got in this conversation about Eddie Van Halen, is that, yeah, mm. every every 14-year-old kid who plays guitar can play Eruption, but can anybody write Eruption? And, and to me, that it's that creativity that makes him stand out above others. Uh, I know I know Eddie was one of your, your inspirations guitar-wise, but uh, what did it for you with Eddie? I think I think you're you're totally hitting it. Um, he didn't let the instrument or his technique get in the way of his creativity, right? He had a, he had a vision. He was, he could he could write songs, and he used his technique when he needed to. I mean, of course, why wouldn't you? Um, and it, it's it's kind of like you know I don't I, I I don't like I don't like to see shredders shred just because they can shred. Right. Yeah. There's, a, there's a place for it. There's a place. It's like when you when you ask when you look at a, an orchestra and the violins are playing really fast. Well, they're not doing that all the time, but there's certainly nothing wrong with it when it happens. So you got a guy like Eddie Van Halen. He shreds when it's necessary, but the majority of the time he's playing a song and he wrote a song. Right. All the all the Van Halen tunes. I mean, he was the main writer of the band. And he knew when to, to lay out, and he knew when to just kick it into overdrive and, and blow everybody's heads off, right? And he uh, he was a, he was a he was a complete visionary. Um, and you know, you know you read the history of the band, how him and David Lee Roth were butting heads when he wanted to go more in a keyboard direction. Um, and I totally understand that urge as an artist. You get you kind of get you don't get again you don't get tired or completely bored, but you just want to experiment with other things. And he was. I mean, he was a classically trained piano player as a as a kid, right? Growing up, not yeah. to mention so a drummer. Had... <laughs> oh, was he also a drummer? I, I oh yeah, him and Alex. Uh, so when they started playing together, Alex was the guitarist and Eddie was the drummer, and they decided to swap. <laughs> and boy, that was no a idea. smart that was a smart swap for both of them. That was a fantastic swap. Wow. Yeah. yeah no, I had no idea. That's really interesting. Well, and that that would explain why he's got such great rhythm and great groove which is it's a hard thing to to, to bang into uh guitar players heads that <laughs> you know it ain't all about playing fast a lot of times it's about playing in time with the drummer and having a, having a solid groove going on which which he was absolutely the, the king of that's why his stuff is so hard to play and play it precisely because his sense of groove was just so it was so bluesy and so sexy and so it was yeah. just it was so right you know <laughs> You know, we talked about Soundgarden, obviously, already, um, Eddie Van Halen. Is there any, if you had to name maybe one other guitarist, bring it out there that that has really inspired you and, and helped you directionally with your playing? Who who might it be? I think definitely Jeff Beck. Oh, would have good to choice. Be, 
on the top of the list. Um, yeah, man. Like, I mean, I love the stuff obviously he did back in the sixties, seventies, but mm-hmm. I got turned on to his newer stuff about 10 years ago. And man, what he's, what he's, how he's reinvented himself in the past 20 years is just, it's just absolutely phenomenal. He's like a brand new musician. I don't know if you've heard his, the stuff he's put out in the past 20 not, years. Not but it's yet, amazing. but I'll have to definitely yeah. check it out. That's wild. It's, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, he's he's got. I mean, he's he's smart that he does the guitar stuff, but he hires he hires obviously he's hiring a really good producer to to bring in all the synth and the pro and there's lots of programming on his on his on his newest albums and lots of editing and stuff that you 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 really can't play it live because it's done in the studio. But it doesn't matter. The music is so good and it's so well done. Um, that's been, a, that's, that's absolutely been a huge influence. Actually, that's probably one of the, uh, reasons why I even started thinking about doing some instrumental stuff was, was listening to his stuff over the past five, 10 years. Wow. Like you, uh, Tom and I both grew up in musical families and I can't speak mm. for Tom, but I know for me, um, before I could even entertain the thought of playing a guitar, uh, it was all about piano lessons, take piano lessons. And, uh, I think in hindsight, while you know, I'll still dabble on the piano once in a while. Learning how to play the piano, I think, makes it so much easier for you to pick up any other instrument. Would you agree? Oh, hands down, without a doubt. Um, as a matter of fact, I used to, I don't teach guitar anymore, but I used to do that quite a bit. Uh, and I used to tell the, my students' parents, like, listen, if you're serious about your kid learning music, you should stop playing guitar right now and take piano lessons. If you can only afford one instrument, it's like take piano lessons. Start start there. The kid is young, you know, he's seven, eight, nine years old. Do piano lessons. I know the kid doesn't want to do it, and he's, he's killing me. He's, he wants to kill me because I'm telling his parents to put him in piano lessons. <laughs> the kid just wants to play rock guitar. But at the end of the day, man, if you learn piano, uh, yeah, you can go to any instrument because there's no – there's no other instrument where all the notes that you're ever going to use are all laid out right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can play ten notes at once. You can play the. You can play. You can be the bass player, the chord player, and the melody person all at the same time. There's no other instrument you can do that on. You can do it to a certain extent on the guitar, but you're mm-hmm. really, really uh, limited by the way the strings are tuned and the fact that your left hand can only span four or five frets. Right. Yeah. Well, for most so, of us, <laughs> most yeah, unless you're, <laughs> unless you're Steve Vai. Apparently, he can stretch eight frets or something. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> so, but yeah, man, I would I would say absolutely piano. Start there, and especially with with the way that music is recorded and produced these days. If you if you want to get into hip hop or any of those kinds, the EDM, it's all done on keyboards. So if you've got piano skills. That transfers a hundred percent over to uh, to being able to walk into a studio and lay stuff down on a keyboard, right? Absolutely. So, do you remember the first time maybe you saw something on TV or you heard a song and it, it hit you that, yeah, the piano is kind of cool and all, but I want one of those. Oh, as in guitar? Oh yeah. My my guitar moment was probably when I was. I think I just turned six years old and I was at my, at my cousin's house and they were into kiss and they had just gotten, um, or they, they, they just, they, they brought out a bunch of kiss albums and they, they gave me this kiss album. It's kiss alive too. And I opened, I opened it up and I was like, what in the hell is this? There's <laughs> these three guys standing up on these platforms in the sky with smoke and bombs and fire bombs exploding all around them. And they've got guitars. Right. And I'm going, <laughs> If I can get on one of those platforms by having a guitar, that's what I'm going to do. And that was it, man. I was like, that was it. I was sold. It's like the music was almost secondary at that point, right? With with Kiss, anyways. Yeah. Were your were your parents sold as well, or were they kind of like, no, no, Murray, you stick to the piano because, as John Lennon's aunt told him when she gave him that first guitar, it's a nice thing to play with for as a toy, but you're never going to be famous with this. Yeah, right. It's a nice thing to take to the beach and strum and impress all the girls. <laughs> That's but, right. But forget about forget about a paycheck on Friday. That's right? right. And for many of us, it is true. <laughs> well, for the, the vast majority, it's hard to make a paycheck playing yeah, any yeah. music musical instrument. But um, no, my parents were always really supportive. Um, I actually didn't really start playing. I didn't start playing guitar until I was ten years old. 
And uh, I got an acoustic. And then when I was 14, my uncle lent me his electric guitar. And then, you know, by then I was, was like, okay, I want to play guitar. I want to play rock guitar. And uh, I, I mean, I've been taking piano lessons since I was four. But my parents were super, they weren't strict parents, but they were strict on the fact that I was not going to quit taking piano lessons until I finished high school. And, you know, of course, you butted heads over it and stuff, but I had to stick with it. And it was the best thing they ever did because, um, you know, I ended up going I ended up going to music college and I got my grade nine classical piano, which when you get to that point. Oh, wow. So you, you've got chops. Well, not piano chops anymore. I hardly <laughs> I don't besides just plunking away on the keyboard. I don't I don't play too much piano as much as I should. But but, but the it, knowledge but is there. Point. Yeah. <laughs> the knowledge is there, right? And you get into studying all those Bach, uh, you know, the inventions and his fugues and preludes and stuff, which I'm probably going to lose all the <laughs> all the rock <laughs> musicians here. But it's like, you know, you've got like three or four part harmonies that are all intertwining in these songs. And just studying that music really takes your brain to the point where you go, okay, I understand all this stuff. Not that I might, I might never use that, mm-hmm. especially in the context of a rock band, um, without you, or else you're going to start sounding too prog but um just having that knowledge and being able to listen to something and go oh yeah that's this and this and this was obviously the the hugest benefits of of taking all those piano lessons and then basically i taught myself how to play guitar as a teenager right because i already knew what all the notes should sound like and i was able to li- able to listen to a record and go oh yeah those those are these notes here and then it was just a matter of, of finding where those notes were on the guitar neck so in I think it was what 2007 that you uh, ended up joining the Odds, right? Yes. So yep. by, by 2007, I mean these guys have been around for a while. I mean they had hit after hit, whether it be "Eat My Brain," "Satisfied," "Mercy to Go," "Someone Who's Cool." Yeah. I mean all these great songs. How aware were you of the Odds before you got into them? Were you one of those guys that was you know you were a fan of the band? You go see them and you know scouted them out. How did you become a member? <laughs> and track them and chase them and, uh, yeah. and stalk them. <laughs> that would yeah. make a good movie, right? <laughs> I was their I was their merch guy. No. <laughs> um, no, I of course was aware of who they were. Um, I played actually in a, with, with this cover band in like about it would have been shortly. So the odds they broke up in ninety ninety eight, I think yeah. roughly. Mm-hmm. I was playing it with doing some gigs with a cover band back around then, and we were actually we actually played Eat My Brain uh, as part of our set. Um, and we used to listen to a couple of their CDs or drive them from gig to gig, driving around Canada. As you know, you've got usually <laughs> a good six, eight, ten hours in advance. Yep. And um, so yeah, I knew their stuff. Um, uh, I didn't know all their stuff, but, uh, you know, definitely when I when I got offered the the, uh, the chance to join. So they, they were basically bro- broken up for almost for almost 10 years when they decided to reform. Right. Mm-hmm. And um I met the guys just just through other other gigs and stuff, and actually had a house gig in 2002 until 2005 with a couple of the guys in of the odds. They kind of uh, Doug and Pat, the, the bass player and the drummer, um, they would kind of fill in and sub in and and, and stuff. And uh, so I kind of knew I kind of knew them before before they got back together again. And when they when they decided to reform. Um, yeah, I mean, I, they they asked me, which was which was fantastic. Of course, I jumped at the chance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you get in the band, they're obviously, and I love asking guys who have joined bands that were already established and how they how they've made their way in. I mean, you've got guitar tracks that were recorded that were part of the songs that may or may not be the way you play guitar. So, how much of a fine mm-hmm. line was it for you to keep the integrity of the songs the way they were written? But also, you know, put a little bit of Murray Atkinson into it as well. Yeah, that. I mean, I knew what I was getting into. I know the, you know, the, it's the odds. I mean, they some of the songs are, you know, you got to play those solos, and and that's not a pro. I don't have a problem mm-hmm. playing somebody else's somebody else's solo. Um, I think I probably took a little bit of license with some some of the diff- some of the rhythm parts live. And I know we had some discussions at the at the start. You know, I learned the songs, and I I, mean, I wouldn't learn them 100% how they were exactly played, uh, but I would pick up the you know the overall vibe of it, and you know obviously get all the chord progressions and stuff right. But I think I kind of did a few things differently 
um, you know, maybe using different chord without without really thinking about it, using different chord inversions or slightly different rhythms of uh, than what uh, Stephen Drake had played. Because um, when I, when I first joined, you know, I had a we me and Craig sat down and we dissected all the songs. So we're like, okay, this is this is me on the left channel. That's Stephen on the right channel. Uh, or vice versa, and so those are the parts that you got to play because those were Stephen's parts. So I would do that. I would I would sit with the songs and listen to them, and and uh, I, I mostly pick up what he did, but I don't think I I one hundred percent picked up what he did. Um, and then when it was time to go show up for rehearsals and put it all together, there was you know a few a few suggestions made by the guys of can you play this part a little more like it was, and you know there's this extra part that comes in at the end that if you could play that it'd be great. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of tweaking that really needed to be done. I, th- I think I mostly got the vibe of what he's doing. And, uh, you know, I mean, Stephen Drake is an absolute monster of of a musician. And just listening to what he did was kind of like it was, was an education in, its, in itself, right? Did they tell you right away why Stephen wasn't back in the band? Or was it one of those things where as time goes on, you're waiting for that right moment and like why the hell is he not back with the band i don't know how to ask that question or or, or waiting for him to walk in and yeah. say okay you're done, you're done man <laughs> thanks yeah. thanks for taking thanks my for spot out. i'm back now <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah we had some i mean i was curious of course when when they got back together and they asked me i was like well why aren't you why not what about steven yeah mm-hmm. and um i think just I think it was just one of those things where they, you know, the three, there was a three guys, Pat and Craig and Doug and, and, and Steven was, I just don't think they, they just didn't really hit it off and, and gel um, as, as well as they, as they could and should. Right. So I think it's just one of those things where you realize that you've got differences with people, whether it's personal or, or artistic and it's, you know, moving, if you want to move forward, it's just not going to work. So and I think that's the reason, one of the reasons, the reason I think why they broke up was just differences, you know, differences of lifestyle, differences of, of, uh, of all that kind of stuff. And it got to the point where it was, I think it was intrusive for them and it couldn't work anymore. So they broke up and I think, <laughs> you know, they, they broke up and they realized that, oh, you, they really miss what they love doing, which was playing as uh, the odds. So yeah, when they go back together, they didn't, they, they didn't ask Steven back. Um, and, you know, I, I understand it. It's a, it's a hard decision and, and there's, it, it kind of limits what we can do. I mean, we've never, ever played Wendy under the stars. Oh, right. right yeah. Because it's like, that's just Steven's song. Yeah. And people ask for it. People ask to hear it all the time. And we're like, it's just sacred. You can't touch that. Yeah. You can't do that. You, you, yeah. So. You want to be able to do it justice, and yeah, that's. And you make such a good point because, I mean, Tom and I. I mean, we've both been in so many bands over the years, and there have been times where you've got a guy in your band, and he is just on fire. Right? I mean, he's just an incredible musician, but he becomes yep. such an asshole that you just. <laughs> Like I can't, you know what? You have to, you have to sacrifice somewhere, right? Like I'd rather have, yeah. you know, a, a lesser talented member of my band who I get along with great than. Mm. But there is also a line to draw. I mean, uh, Tom and I had a guy in one of our bands, and you know we loved the guy to death, but it just wasn't working out musically. And that was one of the most painful things to have to do is to call this guy into a bar and sit down with him and say, "Look, we love you, man, but." We can't have yeah. you in the band anymore. I mean, those, jeez, that that that's it's still never fun to do, right? No, and I've been there many times, and I've been in many bands, and there's always different different members, different characters, and it's always a different combination of how good are you musically, and how good are you as a person, and how you know we we get together, we get along together for that one hour on stage. <laughs> day we get along great but how do we get along for the other 23 hours of the day mm-hmm. and uh this this lineup with the odds i mean it's the first time i've ever been in a band where the musicianship is is absolutely top not top notch and but the guys are all top notch it's, it's just as much fun driving in the van and going through airports and and stuff is just as much fun just hanging out with them as it is playing the music on stage it's which and it it really is it really is a rare 
thing to have that because I haven't ever been in another band where all that gelled like that, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's really super rare. So it's uh, it's a fantastic uh, it's a fantastic band on so many levels, and a big part of it is just because of who they are as people. And I see it, you know, the gigs that we get, these repeat gigs, we keep on getting asked to come back and play these places over and over again. Um, and that's because the the people that work in those venues love hanging out with those guys, the other other three guys, not not me, the other other three guys. Yeah. The band, right. <laughs> it, it's because because they're just such great, fantastic guys, and they make everyone's days better. It's like we leave a leave a venue and go fuck those guys. Those guys just they they made everyone's day there yeah. better by being there. Absolutely. It's a lot of work. You know, you've, you've done live shows. It's a lot of work for, for, for people to put on a show and the club owners. And it's a lot of stress t- selling tickets and, and, yep. and, and all that stuff that goes on behind the scenes that people don't, that people don't see. But we always, when we leave a, leave a place, man, it's just, they, they, they always, you can tell they want us to come back. So it's, it's a pretty rare, pretty rare lineup yes. outfit because of that. It's easy to find a, a great guitarist. It's also easy to find a complete asshole. So, uh, you know, oh, yeah. that, that's basically where we leave that. But listen, uh, the album is amazing. Moomblatubed. If uh, folks listening would like to find out about how to get a copy of that, where do they go to, to download this? Um, they can buy the uh, digital download from my website, murrayatkinson.com. And, of course, it's up on all the uh, the usual streaming sites. It's up on Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff, so I shouldn't shouldn't have a problem finding it. Awesome. Well, listen, when uh, you guys get the Odds album done and you're ready to start promoting it, love to have you back on. Maybe you and Craig can come on together and we can uh, to chat about more about the Odds. But I'm glad we had a chance to talk about your solo stuff because really, cool. really cool stuff. I, I think this is something that music lovers need to hear because it is uh, it is very awesome. So, listen, thanks again, Murray. Really appreciate you doing this today. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thank you. There he is Murray Ackerman. The guitarist from The Odds. And uh, let's hear some. A classic Odds song. Someone who's cool. Like me. That'll do it for another episode of Sessions. Tom, always a pleasure. And you can check out all of our episodes of Sessions if you head over to soundcloud.com 
slash out of the park. There you go. We'll talk to you again next week here on Sessions. That's all the time we have for today's show. Until next time, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. I'm Casey Kasem.